You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. Romans chapter 16, verses 25 and through 27, the last three verses of this book. So if you have your Bible and you want to make your way there, I would encourage you to do so. It's on page 1010 if you're using one of the church Bibles somewhere under the seat or somewhere near you. Uh, 1,010 for one of those, or, or if you're using the YouVersion Bible app, uh, we have an event in there with all, i got a lot of scriptures today we're going to be talking about. If you're not accustomed to a lot of scriptures today, uh, hopefully will not be too shocking, but we have a lot of scriptures today. We're going to take a look at this, this last little doxology together, and it might seem like it's just, you know, wrapping it up, we're done, but there is so much here I don't want us to miss it. Let's read this together. Romans chapter 16, starting in verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation about Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, kept secret for long ages, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures, according to the command of the eternal God, to advance the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles, to the only wise God through Christ Jesus, to him be glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, as we have now come to the concluding verses of this amazing book, speak to us from them, stir in our hearts, help me to preach this in, in a way that would move us and stir us. Help us to hear it, Lord, in a way that would transform us and anchor us to you. Father, thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your Word in the Scriptures. Lord, move us and compel us to the mission that you have given us and what we are to do with this good news. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, so here we are at the very end, and you might just go, oh, that was, that was nice. Uh, this is the 54th sermon in this series. Now you go, whoa, that's a lot, but that's a lot if you don't compare it to Martin Lloyd-Jones, who preached through Romans for 14 years. Um, <clears throat> we're not going to do that. 54th sermon in the series. So now after 54 sermons, many of you have been here for all of them or many of them. Let me ask you a question. What's it all about? Like, what's the book of Romans? How would you, how would you summarize it? Or how about this? How would you uh, answer the question of a friend who's never read the book of Romans, who says, like, what's the point of the book? What, what, why would you spend 54 weeks going through this? Why should I read it? How do you answer your friend? <clears throat> What's the answer? And then, and, and then based on that, why would you tell your friend, like, you need to read this book? Or would you? What's the book about? That's what your friend's asking. And why should your friend read the book? Let me tell you what I would say. Here's my summary statement. <clears throat> The gospel of Jesus Christ is displayed and foreseen in the Old Testament and is now a beacon of salvation for every person who will turn to the Lord. And some of you are like, what? What about the Romans road? You didn't even mention that. Wait, what about the sovereignty of God in Romans 9? What about all I mean, this whole conferences on this stuff? What? What about the Jewish people falling away, but then having this miraculous coming back and the grafting in and the cut? What about all that? What about the systematic theology? This, this is organized in a, in a remarkable way, and it deals with soteriology, salvation, Christology, the study of Christ, and eschatology, the study of the end times. 
What about all that? I mean, I think all this stuff for sure is, is, is summed up, and you probably do too, in this book. But you're asking me, you're like, really? That's how you're gonna. That's how you're gonna sum it up. The gospel of Jesus Christ is displayed and foreseen in the Old Testament, and is now a beacon of salvation for every person who turns to the Lord. That? That's what you say? Yes. Yes, I do. I believe this statement specifically encapsulates what Paul is getting at because that's what he's saying in this doxology in Romans 16, verses 25 through 27. I'm going to show you why I think this is what it all is all about, and then we're going to unpack these statements a little bit. But we need to understand why that is the statement, why it is what it is. There's three primary statements here, and those statements run through the entire book of Romans. This is the doxology, yes. Doxology is an expression or a praise to God. It's giving glory to God. It's typically like marveling and celebrating something about God. It comes to us, this word doxology, uh, from a Greek combined word, doxa, meaning glory, and logos, meaning word or the spoken word, the spoken or praised word, um, doxology. I'm just going to read it again. As I'm reading it, see if you can capture maybe what I'm getting at, why I believe this is the theme of the book. You ready? Now, to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and proclamation about Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept silent for long ages, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures, according to the command of the eternal God to advance the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles, to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory forever. Amen. The purpose of this is to strengthen you or to fix you firmly in place based on the gospel of Jesus. Paul says three things in here. I'm going to break it down a little bit. It might make it easy. He says the gospel is the good news. That's what gospel means, good news, about Jesus. Or that it is uh, that Jesus is the good news. The good news is Jesus. Jesus is this gospel. That's verse 25. Next, he says the gospel was made known and revealed through the prophetic scriptures, the prophets who this was written down. He was made known. That's verse 26. He's saying what he's talking about can be seen all throughout the Old Testament because he didn't have the prophetic scriptures written down and canonized when he was writing this. He's saying this is all in the Old Testament. Finally, Paul says that this gospel was or is to, quote, advance the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. That's his purpose. That's verse 26. He's saying this gospel of salvation from Jesus Christ is not only for the Jews, but for all people, all races, for everyone. Those are the three things he's saying. Now, at this point, I haven't shown you why I think these three things together summarize the entire book of Romans. I I have not done that yet. If it were just about this doxology, I don't think I'd have much of a case to make my point for why I think that's what the book of Romans is all about. However, this doxology is the second half of an inclusio. What? Never heard of an What's an inclusio? What are you talking about? What's a fun word to say? Say it with me. Inclusio. See, it's fun. Inclusio. What is an inclusio? Some of you were in my Sunday school class, and we talked about this uh, 
a few months ago, an inclusio is a biblical literary tool that serves as something like a set of brackets around a single idea or a major theme or a major point. Sometimes it's called the top and tail, like the beginning of the point, the end of the point. It's something we see at the the beginning of a single unit of thought, and we tend to see it sometimes at the end of the unit of thought. Okay, We, We see similar phrasing, similar words, similar thoughts and ideas to let us know that everything in between that's running through that is about that. The entire book of Romans, in a very remarkable way, is set in a giant inclusio. These brackets. Turn with me to the very beginning of the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1. I want to read verses 1 through 6. In light of what we're thinking about here, in light of what we're talking about, see if you can see it. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who descended of David according to the flesh and was appointed to be the powerful son of God according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name, among all the Gentiles, including you who are also called by Jesus Christ. Hmm. In verse 1, we read that this is about the gospel, which Paul is set apart to preach and teach. In verse 3, Paul says the gospel is concerning or all about Jesus Christ. The gospel is about Jesus. In verse 2, Paul says that that Jesus and his gospel was promised in the prophets and in the holy scriptures of the Old Testament. Huh. In verse 5, Paul says that his task in sharing the gospel is to, quote, bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles. Do you see the inclusio? The, the, the gospel is about Jesus, Romans 1.1 and Romans 16.25. Jesus and the gospel are proclaimed in the prophets of the scriptures, Romans 1-2, Romans 16-26. Finally, this is so that the Gentiles will be saved and obey God, that's in Romans 1-5 and Romans 16-26. In the opening verses of the book of Romans, Paul told us what he was going to tell us. In 16 chapters, Paul told us, and in the final verses... Paul told us what he just told us. That's what the book of Romans is about. So now let me give you my summary statement again. The gospel of Jesus Christ is displayed and foreseen in the Old Testament and is now a beacon of salvation for every person who will turn to the Lord. That is what the book of Romans is about. And that is why your friend should read it. Because that's what Paul was getting at with these 16 chapters. That's what we've been talking about for 53 previous sermons and today. So if indeed these are the big ideas, these are the big themes of the book of Romans, let's see if we can remember where we saw these things in the letter. Let's think about that for a minute. Here's the first point. The first point that the gospel is all about the salvation of Jesus Christ. The Jesus Christ is the gospel. 
Okay, and that Romans is all about the gospel. Okay, we see it all over the place. Here are a few examples, probably more than you would like to hear, but if these are about the gospel, we can't, I couldn't decide what to cut, so here you go. Romans 1, 1 through 4, Paul introduces the gospel concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh and was appointed the powerful son of God according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Romans 1, 16 through 17. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew and also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Romans 3, 22 through 26 shows us that the righteousness of God is given through faith in Jesus Christ to everyone who believes. How about Romans 4, 24 through 25? Paul speaks of faith to the one, quote, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Romans 5, 1 through 11, I'm not going to read all that, but it's about being justified by faith and having peace with God through Jesus Christ. In there, Paul said, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. How about Romans 5, 15 through 21, where we see a contrast between Adam's act, his behavior that brought sin and death into the world, contrasted with Jesus' act of righteousness that brings grace and life. Whoo, yay for the gospel. We all know Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, 1 through 4. This is where we see the life-giving spirit through Christ Jesus that sets believers free from the law of sin and death. It's good stuff, right? A couple more. Romans 8, 34. Jesus says, excuse me, it says that Jesus who died was raised and is now at the right hand of God interceding for us for our salvation, for our good. Romans 10, 19 through 13, Paul says that if you confess that Jesus is Lord, if you confess, if you declare him Lord, he's going to call the shots in your life. And if you believe that he is who he says he is and that he was raised from the dead, the Bible promises you will be saved. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. If you say, look, Jesus, you call all the shots. And I believe you are who you say you are. You become a child of God, a Christian. That's what the Bible says. I could give you lots and lots and lots and lots more verses, which would be awesome. But I still have two more points to unpack. So let me move on to the next point. We're asking, do we see these things, these themes in the book of Romans? Is this what the book of Romans is about? How about to the point the gospel is revealed in the Old Testament? We could be here all day. Paul directly quotes the Old Testament more than 60 times in 16 chapters of Romans. Can you believe that? 60 times he is directly, clearly quoting the Old Testament. That is more than 10% of the book of Romans. And that doesn't even include all the echoes and all the allusions and all the hintings at all of the Old Testament stuff that he builds on. If we included all those, which are kind of hard to count, these numbers would be absolutely skyrocketed. He built this book on the foundation of the Old Testament. 
So surely he's making a point that the gospel can be seen in the Old Testament. Obviously, he's making that point. Obviously, he's saying, look at all this, if that's all the stuff he's pointing to. I'm not going to quote another lengthy list, but I do want to share that one of the most powerful statements in the book of Romans, the statement that caused Martin Luther's salvation, it ignited something in his soul, the statement many people who write commentaries put on the cover of their commentary of the book of Romans, Romans 1.17, the righteous shall live by faith. That's not even Paul's statement from God. That's Paul's quote of what God said to Habakkuk in verse in chapter 2, verse 4. That's a quote of the Old Testament. It's a travesty, I think, that people think we can just toss out the Old Testament. Maybe some of you here and here think that. I'm not going to bother reading it. I don't need to know it. It doesn't mean anything to me. Who cares? Let's just chuck it out. I don't think that's a good idea. In it, we find the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of our salvation in Christ, in Him who we have placed our hope. It's in the Old Testament, just as much as it's in the New. That's where we find all the promises that were made that we see Jesus fulfilling, or He has fulfilled, in order to save us. You really can't share how amazing the biblical Jesus is without building on what the Old Testament says about Him. It's like the second half, and and you don't even know. You don't You need to understand the promises that are fulfilled. This week I was listening to a lecture by by a scholar named Daniel Block, and and, uh, he says he likes to call the Old Testament the First Testament rather than the Old Testament because he says every time you say old, it makes people think that it's somehow outmoded and unnecessary and and it's something we could just toss out, right? It's It's just... that. Now, while we live under a new covenant, I mean, the Bible talks about it like that. There's a new covenant. We live under that with God. The gospel of Jesus' salvation in the Old Testament is still rich, it is still present, and it should not be seen as outmoded, outdated, unnecessary, or tossed out. It's fantastic. So if nothing else, I hope that what I'm sharing with you motivates you to spend maybe just a little more time in the Old Testament. It was obviously very important to Paul. It was obviously important to his argument about the gospel of Jesus, and therefore it should be important to us. So for some of you who love the Old Testament, you'll be happy to hear that Pastor Josiah and I will be preaching at least half of our Sunday mornings next year from the Old Testament. We're going to be going through some prophets. We're going to be looking at some stuff with the kings, battles between David and Saul. Uh, We're excited for that, and we are looking at how we can really get a full, robust look at the Old and the New Testament, different areas of the Bible throughout the next many years so that we can get the whole counsel of God preached and and heard here at Redeeming Life. Okay, so that was the point, and we see it all throughout the Old Testament, obviously by how much he quoted, that that Romans is saying the gospel is in the Old Testament, so the Old Testament's important. Let's move on to our third point. Let's see if we can think about where we've seen this. It says Gentiles should get saved and obey God. Okay, so, so Paul was likely, most likely writing this to a mixed group of Jews and Gentiles in the church in Rome. A Jewish person was one who was physically born in the line of Abraham and and lived within the covenant of God as a member of God's people. Today, we see lots and lots of Jewish people, many, many, many people who are in the line of Abraham but live a very secular life and care little to nothing 
about the covenant they have or should have with God, especially if they've rejected Jesus Christ as the Son of God. They've, they've cast it all out. So oddly today, you can find atheist Jews. You can find Jewish Muslims. You can find Jewish Christians. You can find just purely Jewish humanists and secular Jewish people. It's not just about being in a certain race of people born in the line of Abraham, but it's to be born in the promise of Abraham and hold on to that covenant. Okay, so that's what we deal with today. It was a little bit different in Paul's day when you said Jew or Gentile. Okay, in Paul's day, the covenant with God was part of their national religion, their national identity. It was fairly significant. That's not to say it's not significant for some Jewish people today, but if you called yourself Jewish in that day, this was a real part of it. Even if you didn't practice very fervently, it was still an identifying part of it. And so Paul is speaking to this division between Jew and Gentile, right? But there was a common attitude among the Jewish people of that day that the Jewish people were God's people and nobody else could be. That's kind of how we're special. Nobody else is. That's what makes us special. That's how they saw it. Okay, now, what's a Gentile? A Gentile is not a person who lives. I mean, it could be a Gentile on Gentile Street up in Layton, right? Like... <laughs> A Gentile is or was anyone who wasn't Jewish. So it's all of these people and everyone else. And Paul is arguing throughout the entire book of Romans that the gospel is for Jews and Gentiles. Therefore, it's for these people and it's for everyone else. All people who call on the name of the Lord can and will be saved. That's his point. But Paul goes further than just they can be saved. If that were the end of it, okay, that's interesting. But he goes further than that. It's not just that the gospel is open to anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, which indeed it is. Let's not miss that. It isn't, absolutely. But Paul is pushing that the Christian readers, the believers, the ones who confess that Jesus is who he says he is, must take this gospel to the Gentiles who haven't heard, who have no idea, haven't accepted or rejected, have never heard. They must, these believers in Rome, and I would say all believers who read this, must take the gospel to all people. How then can they call on him? They have not believed in, Paul asks in Romans 10, 14, making his point in the same book. And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they, they preach unless they are sent, <clears throat> as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Preacher here is proclaimer. Don't think it's just me. It's you and it's me to proclaim the word of God. <clears throat> if you are a Christian, you have a charge from God. The same charge that's being made here in the book of Romans. It's, it's to proclaim Jesus, to make disciples of all the world. That's Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So in light of that, go and preach the good news. Go and proclaim. <clears throat> Talk to your neighbor or take a trip around the world. The gospel is for everyone to be proclaimed. It is about Jesus. It is about salvation. I'm just going to give you the three points again. <clears throat> the gospel is all about Jesus, saving work. I think most of us would nod our head and say, you bet. The Old Testament proclaimed the gospel. I think most of us agree with that. Some of us might be like, man, I never heard that before, but i got to check it out. And that the gospel is for Gentiles, all people. That is what the book of Romans 
is all about. <clears throat> that's what we've been talking about for all these sermons. When you read through it, that's what we should see. That's what we should hold on to. We get excited about some of the little other things, sure, but this is what Paul wanted to be heard in his book. So I'll give you my point again. The gospel of Jesus Christ is displayed and foreseen in the Old Testament and is now a beacon of salvation for every person who will turn to the Lord. Brian, you say, that is so repetitive and and annoying that you don't even try to change up the language. You just keep saying the same thing. I do. It's because I want it to stick. We need to get it. If you write it in your Bible, write it in the beginning. I mean, if you write it, write it where Romans is. The gospel of Jesus Christ is displayed and foreseen in the Old Testament and is now a beacon, a light of salvation for every person who will turn to the Lord. Why do I keep saying it like that? Because all this time that we've spent in here has shown me how important that message is. And that is the message our world needs more than anything else. More than anything else. I can't think of a more important message than that. So let me explain, because you might be in here going, I don't know, I, that, I, not, I don't buy it. Let me see if I can convince you. <clears throat> the world is broken. All right, it wouldn't be hard to find, you know, that's easy evidence, right? It'd be hard to find somebody who doesn't think that the world is in some way or another broken. We might not agree on how and why and what, but we do believe it's broken. It's the one thing that all people on earth have in common. We all sort of have this sense that we feel deep down in our soul that something is not right in our world. We know the world shouldn't be like it is. I'll give you one example. If death was such a wonderful and natural part of being a human being, why do we not embrace it more easily? Why does it terrify us? Why do we work so hard to overcome it? It can be very terrifying unless you have the hope of Christ. The world's broken. Something's wrong. Every person, in one way or another, tries to fix this brokenness. We try to make ourselves complete. We don't like this feeling of incompleteness. We don't like this feeling that something is missing. And so to find this completeness in our world, we try to control every aspect of our life, even our identity, even who God made us to be. We play God over fixed things because we want them to be fluid and shifting and changeable so that they can be in our control, so that we can control when it changes and what it looks like and what it does, rather than recognizing that God actually gave us a stable, fixed reality, controlled by and in the hands of God. The world is shifting sand. It just slips through your fingers. It's moving. There's no stability in it. It is shifting sand everywhere. Everywhere we look, and everything we think about it, it's all nothing. Shifting sand, loose, fluid, unstable. Like all the rocks when you try to cross a stream, but they all wobble. You have nothing to stand on. It seems scary and broken. Because it is. We feel it, we know it. But... By now you have this memorized. The gospel of Jesus Christ is displayed and foreseen in the Old Testament and is now a beacon of salvation for every person who will turn to the Lord. What I mean by this is that the Bible has made it clear that since Genesis 3, in the beginning, the world has been broken and 
since Genesis 3.15 on page 2 of the church Bible, God has offered hope and stability for a broken world. That long, that stable, which is pretty much forever. For thousands of years, the world has been broken and God has been continually offering this hope through and by His Son, Jesus Christ. Stability, an anchoring, a purpose, a reality, and a very shifting, confusing world. That has been made clear in the Scriptures. Both the Old and the New Testament. Solid. Now, the world is still broken. Just because it's been made clear in the Gospel, I mean, the world is still broken, but there is hope. There's hope. There is stability in the Gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the news about Jesus Christ, the rock. There is stability in the life that He has designed us to live because God knows better than we do. I want to end in this way. Turn with me over to Luke chapter 6. I'm going to look at verses 46 through 49. Jesus telling a story. It's on page 915 in that church Bible. If you're anywhere near that, I want to read it. I want God's Word to hopefully speak to us fresh from a very familiar story. Lord, move in us from this, that the familiar will not cause us to overlook, but instead speak even louder in our ears. Luke 6, verse 46 says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came and the rivers crashed against that house and couldn't shake it because it was well built, but... The one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it, and immediately it collapsed. And the destruction of that house was great. Let us remember that the shifting sand might look nice for a moment, might be a good place for a picnic, might be fun on the beach, but it will not hold when the rains come. It is unstable and untrustworthy. However, there is an immovable, solid rock in which you can anchor your life, Jesus Christ, and not have to feel the fear of the brokenness of the shifting sand in this world. Build on the rock. Stand on the rock. His name is Jesus. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be playing around in all this shifting craziness. Just anchor to Jesus. And let us really do what he has said. Act on what he has shown us. Let our identity and our hope be in Jesus Christ. Because salvation is found in nobody else. Nobody. The gospel is a beacon of salvation for every person who will turn to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I I thank you, God, for the book of Romans. I thank you for this summary that we could go through 
from beginning to end the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, from beginning to end where we find hope, where we find our salvation. God, moving us like you did in Martin Luther and so many others, that we would live by this faith, live by it, not just exist by it, but really live and act on what we have heard and what we have seen and take this to the nations. Take this to all people. Take this across the street to our neighbor. God, move in us by the power of your word. Because this is the only place in which a broken, dying world, a confused world, will find any hope and any truth and any salvation. God, if there are any in here who who have not professed that you are who you say you are in your word, I ask, Lord, please open their eyes and open their ears that they could not miss you, that they would dig deep and build on the rock. God, if there are any in here who are are flirting with the idea of of answering a call to mission work, going on a short-term mission or a long-term mission, if there are any in here, Lord, who who are thinking and dabbling with the idea of talking with their neighbor or inviting a friend to the Eve of Eve service, Lord, whatever it might be, Lord, give them the courage to act and trust you. God, I know there's a lot of confusion in the world and a lot of fear in the world, and a lot of worry in the world. And Lord, that bleeds into your people. That, that overwhelms us. I ask that you would protect us from any of that. That you would solidify us in who you are. That we would not have that fear, or that worry, or that confusion. But that we would put our hope and our trust squarely and soundly in Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit redeeminglifeutah.org.